Welcome into the Paul Guharski podcast. Excited to talk to you about the Tennessee Titans this week as they get ready to head to Jacksonville and this long streak on the road before they finally get back to Nashville and play Carolina. Let's talk about the two biggest games left on the team's schedule. Why go once they get back home and see this bad team perform? Is this the worst offensive line this team has fielded since it's been back in Tennessee and more? I'm brought to you by Zen Sports and Jaspers. Here we go. Titans have eight games left in what's turning into a miserable season. Playoff dreams dead if we're going to be realistic here. There's no reason to expect them to catch fire and take off and catch all these teams ahead of them when they rank 15th out of 16 in the AFC. New York Times playoff simulator gives them a 3% chance of hopping eight teams to get to the seventh and final playoff spot in eight weeks. There's no reason to expect pass production uh, and scoring output to get consistently better. The goal is to play well enough to get Will Levis the opportunity to expand his game. But inside of that, this team should be circling two games on the upcoming schedule um, as, as the most important. I know Mike Vrabel, Vrabel is not operating this way. I know the team is not thinking ahead. But uh, when they get into the preparation weeks for these games, somebody would, would be wise to be uh, you know, amping, amping things up. The Titans are going to wear the Oilers throwbacks on December 17th against the Texans at Nissan Stadium. And two weeks later, they'll be in Houston for the rematch. Since the ugly divorce with the city of Houston in 1996 and the lame duck season in the Astrodome, the move to Nashville in 1997, and the birth of the Texans in the modern new stadium down there, NRG Stadium for a long time in, in 20, uh, 2002, Bud Adams and his family have had strong personal feelings about the new franchise in Houston. Amy, Amy Adams Strunk has come to spend a lot of time in Nashville, but still has a home base there. And she may be understanding of this franchise's current struggles and the rebuild phase that they're going through, which are keyed around, as we all know, the personnel deficiencies of, of this roster. But the Texans don't have a great roster either. With a new coach and a rookie quarterback, they're taking off. They're one of the NFL's darlings right now with C.J. Stroud not only looking like a shoe-in for offensive uh, for, for offensive rookie of the year, for rookie of the year, but, you know, he's, he's in MVP conversations right now legitimate, legitimately. The Texans, uh, the, the beat-up Titans last year, we know, lost seven in a row to finish the season, and they were 7-10. and 10. The Texans were terrible. They were 3-13-1. They hired D'Amico Ryans. They drafted C.J. Stroud. And now, behind Stroud, who's been super impressive, the Texans are an NFL sweetheart. They're sitting right now at five and four, and they've got a 52% playoff chance, according to the Times. 
this is not going to sit well with Strunk. Those head-to-head games coming up, Titans-Texans, matter to her, uh, I think, in a way that maybe the rest of these games don't. She clearly would like to see her team, you know, get on a winning track and, and do better. But I'm certain that she's also come to terms to some degree with what this season can be and can't be and is and isn't. Could these games have a feeling, have a bearing on her feeling about Mike Vrabel and the direction of her franchise and her willingness to be patient? I don't know. I just know it would be a lot better for Vrabel, for the Titans, for the mood of the building, for everybody involved, if the Titans could fare well against the Texans. And we know no matter how things are going for teams in the division, that when you square off against a team that you're familiar with, and yes, the Texans are different than they've been with the new head coach and everything, but Mike Vrabel knows D'Amico Ryans. Um, things don't always go according to plan or according to record in divisional games. We know outwardly they're going to say no games are more important than any other game and all of that. December 17th here in Nashville and New Year's Eve in Houston are very important games for the Tennessee Titans. They're very important games for the owner's feeling about her franchise, which I think she doubtlessly measures up against the franchise in her other hometown, in her the town she's from. And uh, the idea that the Texans are sprinting past the Titans, given where they were a year ago, uh, isn't pleasing to the Adams family. Can't be pleasing to the Adams family. These are the two most important games remaining on the Titans schedule. They need to play well in both of those. I think it could, it could have a bearing on, on a lot of things. I don't think, you know, if they lose those two games, I don't think that seals Mike Vrabel's fight, fate and he gets hired, fired. I don't think he's getting fired. But I, I think it could do a lot to help him. I think it could do a lot to help the team if the Titans play well, if the Titans win, at least split those games. And certainly uh, it would be good for them not to lose those games badly. Uh, I've had some conversations on social media with some fans who are asking me why they should go to, to the remainder of the Titans home schedule. They asked me to kind of play Titans marketing in terms of selling them on, on why they should head back to Nissan stadium, given the three and six Titans and just how poor they've been. Well, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to market for the Titans, but, but I can a little bit, um, Titans have been pretty good at home. Uh, you know, la- last time they played at home, Will Levis threw four touchdowns against the, the Falcons and, you know, a game that put them with Marcus Mariota and Fran Tarkenton as the, the best debut games for, for rookie quarterbacks in terms of the, they're the only three that have thrown four touchdowns. I can't tell you to go spend money to watch this bad team. I wouldn't. Many of you already have your season ticket holders. Um, and the, the flavor of this 
conversation I've been having is, is why go? Maybe if you've already spent the money, why not give them away? Hey, more power to you if, if you if you've got the kind of money where you can have already spent the money and choose not to follow through on on your uh, on your sorry on your um, expenditure um, or or if you want to sell um, or give them away all the, all the more power to you uh, one of the wonders of this market though to me is this kind of sense of entitlement like that you obviously you want them to be good you expect them to field a good product but on the occasions that they don't the kind of like well why should i go attitude that i get from a portion of the fan base that i talk to i think is disproportionate to like i think people have gone to games for years and years in detroit bad years and years you know why because they're fans of the Lions. And, and in Detroit, you root for the Lions. And while you're miserable over time with the Lions' failure to achieve a certain level of success, you continue to root for the team and go to its games. Same in Cleveland with the Browns. Same in New York with the Jets. And I don't want to create a, a big conversation about fandom and what it entails. You as a fan can choose to go or not go or watch or, or not watch to whatever degree you want. But I, I think in major league towns, and, and some of these towns are a lot bigger than Nashville, there are stadiums that are regularly full with fans for teams that are not very good. Um, they go because they're fans of the team and it's still a communal event to go and watch the team and kind of uh, have this communal experience of watching them not do well the same way it's a communal experience of watching them do well. It's far better experience when they're doing well, but you commiserate over them not doing well. Now, listen, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a Yankees fan and I'm a U.S. soccer fan and I'm a Chelsea fan. Those are the teams that I have an interest in. I tuned out the second half of this year because the Yankees uh, stunk and because I was miserable with the product that they put on the field. So I can relate to those of you who are tuning out, but the NFL is different. It's 17 games. It's not 162 games. And so if I had an NFL team, you know, I think that I, I would maintain my interest in it over those 17 games, 17 times three hours. It's not that big a commitment. I, I wouldn't be going to a lot of games because I think they're exceedingly expensive. You know, I'd go enough to please my kid. Um. I think the Titans have Will Levis right now, who's intriguing, and I'd want to go to watch, uh, you know, the rookie quarterback and see what you could get out of him, though I understand the concerns about the pass protection, certainly. But I'm not going to tell you to go or not go. I am going to say, though, you know, I do think there's an attitude in Nashville, like when the Titans get bad, that the Titans are this long-suffering team. The Titans are a middling team that periodically has success, but they're not long-suffering. The Browns are long-suffering. The Lions are long-suffering. The Jets went to a couple championship games, but the 
They haven't been to the Super Bowl. The Jets are long-suffering. And Titans fans make the mistake when the Titans aren't good of, of wanting to lump themselves in that basket and losing context of what badness over the long haul means. And you're not in that basket. So you can feel sorry for yourself, certainly. You can lament how bad your team is this year, certainly. But don't don't put yourself in a spot where you've had it so bad. Your team went to the Super Bowl the first, first year. They were in their new stadium and stuff. And I know that's ancient history and all of that. But fan bases endure bad times unless you're, you know, one of the very, very special franchises. And it's no secret that the Titans aren't one of the very, very special franchises. So if you want to be one of the very, very special franchises, you got to you gotta go pick another team. This one is not one of one of that. And you just endure the bad stuff. Is this well, I need to tell you about Zen Sports. You see their logo up in the corner. Zen Sports has been terrific to me and to uh to us at paulkuharski.com. Um, you need to go download the app at Zen Sports. It's for Tennesseans only. So there, they're being Extra special good to those of us who live in Tennessee, right? You download the Zen Sports app right now uh, if you're 21 or over and you gamble responsibly, of course. Download the app. Uh, use the code TNPAUL, T-N-P-A-U-L, all capital letters. Uh, bet $10. And if you're not a member of paulkuharski.com, boom, they will give you one year of access to paulkuharski.com where you get everything I write, you get Mike Herndon's Wednesday column, you get Blake Bettingfield's previews, reviews, draft stuff. Blake's out of commission for a little bit here, but he'll be back soon. Um, you get uh, the, the new analytics-based uh, uh, column from Jake Downard that, that we've got on Tuesday. You get the private chats that we do um, on, at halftime of Thursday night football and from the press box. Um, after every game, uh, you get access to the private Facebook page. You get 5% off at Tennessee tickets, which adds up. That's not just Titans tickets. That's any ticket. So if you're buying an expensive concert ticket, uh, you know, and you buy tickets to a couple events, that's, that can be some pretty significant money. Lots of bonuses there for a free membership that you get from betting at Zen Sports where you're going to obviously win a lot of bets and, and do really well. If you're a member of the site, once you bet $250, they give you another $250, which is a great deal. So uh, I can't speak highly enough about Zen Sports. Hop on, become a member, don't get left behind. Um, we appreciate our relationship with them, and I hope you'll join in on that. Is this the worst offensive line that the Tennessee Titans have fielded? Look, it's, it's awful. Andre Dillard. Uh, has been an awful left tackle. He's dealing with a concussion now. Um, so he's out. Nicholas Petit Frere's left shoulder injury has him out. He wasn't very good when he was in. Dylan Radins is going to be at left tackle this week. He's been bad also when he's played. Um, you know, Peter Skoransky's a solid left guard. Aaron Brewer is, you know, middle of the pack center for around the league, which on this line isn't bad. Daniel Brunskill's up and down at right guard. Um, smart, crafty guy who you wouldn't mind being on your line if you had a good line. Chris Hubbard, 
you know, needs needs help um, and ha- has his ups and downs. The overall pass protection of this group is really bad. And Will Levis uh, is getting hit a ton. Go read Mike Herndon at paulkuherski.com, who offers a great assessment. But like I asked a question earlier this week, you know, are the Titans concerned that the cumulative hits on Will Levis will have a negative bearing on Will Levis, which I think is a fair question. And everybody immediately looks at David Carr and what happened to him in Houston. Um, and, and you worry about that. But I never think that they should not play him and put him in bubble wrap and let Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis take the hits, which a share of the fan base wants to happen. Mike Herndon's piece this week is terrific, looking at some very successful quarterbacks of recent times who took their lumps over the the first year of their career and have gone on to to very, very successful things. Joe Burrow, probably first first amongst them. But um, uh, it's an excellent piece. You should should go read it. Um, And and the big thing is, if Will Levis does get hurt, you know, and I was talking about this with Robbie and Rex Road in my weekly hour on 102.5 The Game in Nashville, Wednesdays from 8 to 9, you know, he needs to not suffer an injury that 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 requires any kind of rehab beyond April. It's sad that you're talking about, like, what level of injury could Will Levis sustain. But he can't have an injury that affects his offseason. But he's got to go out there, take his lumps. Sack avoidance is part of quarterbacking in the league. And uh, and and he's he's got to learn about that. Is this the worst line ever? Um, you know, this has been a bad line. Every variation of this line has been bad. I don't think it's the worst line that we've ever seen. A lot of people are quick to say, yeah, it's a recency bias. I, I understand that. Let's go back. And remember that Ken, Ken Wisenhunt not only fielded terrible lines, he didn't believe in helping those lines. He got people out on routes, and they threw the ball a lot. They, they didn't uh, really concentrate on, on running it. In a 36-7 to loss to the New York Giants, on December 7, 2014, Ken Wisenhunt's first year, the Titans fielded this group left to right. Will Svitek, who played for Taylor Lewan, Andy Levitri, who we know did not pan out and played very poorly at left guard for this team, Chris Spencer at center, who was playing for uh, Brian Schwenke, Chance Warmack at right guard, who we know also did not pan out, was not a very good player. Byron Stingley started at right tackle and was replaced by a guy I'm virtually certain no one will remember. I did not remember his name, Taron Jones. And they were playing because another completely unsuccessful player that the Titans brought in to start, Michael Orr, was out. So Zach Mettenberger took five sacks and fumbled twice in this game and was knocked out with a shoulder injury that subsequently ended his season with three games remaining. And Jake Locker then was sacked three times. The Titans gave up eight sacks in this game. Delaney Walker, after the game, said, our quarterbacks are getting punished, and that's sad. The Giants got these eight sacks despite the fact that they had just put Robert Ayers and Matthias Kiwanuka, who had accounted for 29% of their sacks through 12 games, 
They just put them on IR. So those guys were not playing for the Giants team that sacked Mettenberger and Locker for a combined a combined eight times. I think that was probably the peak of Titans offensive line badness. Um, so I'd put the current offensive line above Svitek, Levitri, Spencer, Warmack, and Stingley slash Taron Jones. How about you? I think it's something to consider. Let's also mention our other sponsor, Jasper's, an excellent restaurant on uh, West End Avenue between downtown and midtown. I love eating there. Uh, I haven't been there often enough. I'm due for a trip to have my favorite bolognese or Cuban sandwich. I'll be torn when I get there, pull up a seat at the counter to read some uh, notes. I've done a terrible job silencing my phone. Give me demerits for that. Um, Go there, eat there, park for free there, play some Papa Shot, some air hockey, some skee-ball for free there. Take your family for a family night out. Take your date for a date night. Um, go for lunch for a business meeting. It's practical for every occasion, the kind of versatile restaurant that matches the kind of versatile football player the Titans would like to have probably don't have enough of um, in, in the season going as it is. It's on West End Avenue between downtown and midtown, perfectly located, easy to get to. Can't recommend them enough. Jasper's on West End. Hit it up. It's, uh, it's a terrific spot. A couple questions from the peanut gallery known as the paulkuharski.com private Facebook page. Private. This is highly, highly private. You can't go there unless I let you in. Elaine Hamilton, do you think we will go with Willis as the backup quarterback next year or sign a low-level vet? I think um, with um, Will Levis in line to be the starting quarterback next year that a veteran presence would be a healthy thing to have in terms of being able to step in for him with few practice snaps or to take over for a stretch of games. I don't have a lot of faith in Malik Willis. I don't think there's any problem with having Malik Willis in camp, seeing what you've got, deciding again, if, uh, if he's a value to keep around as the third quarterback Titans have plenty of cap money. So spending, you know, quote unquote, significant cap dollars on a backup is reasonable to me. But the backup, the veteran backup market is very thin. Four guys I would consider and chase to get one of them. Tyrod Taylor, who's hurt um, right now with the Giants, is a 500 quarterback with the 88.4 career rating. Uh, go get Tyrod Taylor. I think he would be a good option. Josh Dobbs, we know what he's doing in Minnesota right now. Um, really. Uh, a good option um, in terms of being able to come off the bench for you. Gardner Minshew, I know he's got a, a downside, as particularly when it takes over as a full-time starter for the Colts, but the Colts are better than anybody expected with, uh, with him as a starter. He's uh, very hot and cold. Jacoby Brissett is another one that I'd consider. Those are four guys, Taylor, Dobbs, Minshew, Brissett, that I would give some serious consideration to as a Titans veteran backup next year. Dustin Engelhart uh, asks, uh, says, I've not heard much about getting some improvements 
in the inside linebacker position, would I improve that via draft or free agency? I think you can find an inside linebacker in uh, mid-priced free agency or in the middle of the draft. Uh, I don't particularly care which. David Long was a sixth-round pick. J.M. Brown was a fifth-round pick. Avery Williamson was a fifth-round pick. I said those uh, current to dated. But if you go, Williamson to Brown to Long was a nice natural progression where the Titans had three guys who were progressively better that they got mid-late in the draft. Then they blew it, and they went all the way up to the third round and got Monty Rice, who's not a good football player. But I think there are also inside linebackers who are going to bring you more than uh, Jack Gibbons, and they have to upgrade that spot. I would imagine they will uh, try to re-sign Aziz Al-Shair, um, and I imagine he would like to be back. So ideally, he's one of your um, inside linebackers. The other one needs to be a little bit more physical and rugged, but still able to run. And I, I don't think it should be that difficult to find that guy, but they need to make an effort there. They can't be settling for what they have, which is Rice, who doesn't know what to do, and Gibbons, who knows what to do, but can't necessarily do it because he's got some physical limitations. Richard Seidman, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, asks, are there any defenses left on the schedule our poor offensive line may have a chance against? This is a good question. The next three defenses the Titans face are not too bad. I'm going to get into this more on the site. But Jacksonville is 15th in pressure percentage. These numbers are from profootballreference.com. Jacksonville's pressure percentage is 22.9. That's 15th in the league. Carolina is 25th at 19.1%. And Indianapolis is 22nd at 20.6%. Those, Richard, are encouraging numbers that the Titans should be able to survive a little bit better against, though they're not doing well against anybody. The numbers for Miami and Houston and Seattle, the three other teams that they'll face later, are better. And then they see Jacksonville again, obviously. That's a good question, and I've got some things charted out that I will put on the site. So stay tuned for more of that. Um, that's all I've got for you this week. I appreciate you checking in as always. Go to Zen Sports, use TN Paul. Um, if you're joining as a member, use the same email address that you use here. If you're a newcomer, be sure to get your free membership to paulkowarski.com. Go eat at Jasper's. And as I can't remind you enough, don't block the box, but be sure, please, please, please to lock your locks. Be well, everybody. Thanks.